0: In the back of your Bibles, Revelation chapter 12, read that several times over the next few weeks, okay? I'm not going to preach that today. Taking a little break uh, from Revelation for my sake and perhaps for yours a little bit. I know some of you are being exposed to an interpretation that you're maybe not so comfortable with, but uh, uh, so we're going to let that ruminate a little bit, and I would encourage you to read it, but I want to take a break from that just for a a bit and uh, uh, focus on some psalms through uh, the next several weeks, maybe a couple months here through this summer, and this morning we're going to look at Psalm chapter 1. I looked through all of the psalms I've ever preached before, and I'd never preached Psalm 1, so I thought, why not? It's such a great one. So we're going to do that this morning. And before we get to it, uh, I want to pray for us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, there are truths you want us to know, and we're asking that you would teach us. There are things, Father, that you want to give to us, and we pray that you would indeed give them to us. And Father, we also know that there's a way you want us to be, to become, and we pray that through your word you would make us. It's the preaching of your word that does this, and we pray all of this for the glory of Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Well, the question I'm asking this morning, are you... Blessed. Now, of course, there are a lot of reasons that that you could believe that you are indeed blessed, and I I just think of my own life, the way I was raised, and I think all of those are blessings. Having a a mother and a father who who loved me. Now in my life, I have a, a wife I deeply cherish. Perhaps you have people in your lives that you cherish, and children. We're blessed with children. I'm blessed with grandchildren. And these are true, true blessings. And maybe if you're not at the stage of life, uh, certainly you have dear friends that you're blessed with or, or a great job, income, possessions that, that are over what you need. And you have opportunities for friendship and community and, and meaningful endeavors. These are, these are all blessings. They're certainly blessings, but I think we'd have to agree. They are temporary because when you die, they are no more. There is a kind of blessing that you can have now. The benefits of which you will enjoy not only now, but for all of eternity. And, and we find that in Psalm 1. So we're going to read that together. I have encouraged you to turn there already. So listen to God's word. Psalm chapter 1, the whole thing, just six verses. Blessed. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. Now, Blessed, that word blessed. Some of you say blessed, two syllables, blessed. I I think it it just simply means happy when you look at the word, but I think the way we commonly think about happy, I think that's really insufficient to capture what is meant in this psalm. Uh, As I was studying this past week, there's a 19th century theologian and pastor, so his name is William S. Plummer, wrote this massive commentary on the psalms. He described the one who is blessed as the one who knows he has a vast treasure of good things in possession and prospect have it now and then in the future and that the source of those treasures is God so this morning as we unpack this psalm together i want us to look at i've just three headings to kind of pull this together first of all look at the one who is not blessed who is not blessed second the path to blessing and third the destination very obvious kind of takeaways from this but let's let's look at it together first of all who is who is not blessed now it would not be surprising if someone noticed that you were limping and asked you how's your walk and maybe because you blew out your flip-flop and stepped on a pop-top Sorry, a little Yacht Rock reference there. Uh, You might answer answer getting better, right? Especially if you took your doctor's advice to get an antibiotic and not some frozen concoction. But that question, that question, how's your walk, it has a completely different meaning if if it's a Christian friend asking, and this might be dated language of our Christian subculture, but how's your walk used to be used to, or it used to be understood as a, a question about your own spiritual well-being. How's your walk? Your Christian sanctification. Now, I think we get this, and this is very obvious, walking, standing, sitting, these physical postures, right? We, we get it. We do these things. But these words, of course, are also metaphors for the kind of life you live as you walk. You need to take direction, right? How are you going to go, and from whom? Where you stand—well, those are the things I think we say. I'm standing this. Those are the things that we're confident about, and I would say they're also the people with whom you keep company. And where you sit, where you sit—well, that's where you dwell. That's where you rest. That's where you find refuge and comfort. Now, before the psalmist describes what, it's, what it means to be blessed, he describes the one who is not blessed by using these metaphors. And I, I take it that they're synonymous with one another, but there are slight, slight distinctions. Verse 1, the one who is not blessed. Well, that one walks in the council. That is to say, the direction of their life is guided by those who are wicked. The wicked, those are people that are hostile to God. They're hostile to the character of God. They hate what is righteous. The Apostle Paul describes them in Philippians 3.19. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. With minds set on earthly things. Further, the one that is not blessed, the psalmist says, stands. Meaning, he commits to a way. A course of life that is marked by sin and then he keeps company with others who are like-minded. The sinner is destined for condemnation and that's a serious, ominous word, right? Eternal separation from God. I remind you what the prophet Isaiah said. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. That's what sin does and if you're committed to that, you're saying I want nothing to do With God. And then the one that is not blessed, the psalmist tells us, sits. That is to say, he rests, dwells, is comfortable in the assembly of scoffers. The scoffer, that's the scornful, boastful, arrogant speaking, mocking one, right? So he's made aware of God's righteousness, but intentionally does the opposite. And what God calls evil they say is good. That's the mocker. What God says is good, they say is evil. That's mocking God. And of course, in every generation, there are mockers. Every generation. Maybe you saw in the news about the LA Dodgers, Major League Baseball team. They've chosen to honor, maybe you saw this in the news, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And already you know that there's a problem here. They want to Uh, celebrate them as part of their pride month celebration now pride month alone i would say is a mockery of god but these sisters they take that mockery to an even more debased level with their knowledge of catholicism and historic christianity they've crafted this pornographic show which is an absolute mockery of god and the christian faith now of course we protestants have differences with the roman catholic church but but for men to dress up as nuns and use a cross in their highly sexualized dance presentation this, this lewdness is so unspeakably depraved and it's obvious to normal thinking people and they think somehow this is family entertainment and when you take it as a package it's just a, a mockery of everything god says is true now that mocking can be overt like this presentation that they plan. Or it can be subtle. The mocking abortion is health care. That's just a mockery of what of what caring for an individual is. That could be overt or hidden from sight in the privacy of your room or on your own screen, finding comfort there. Well, that's the opposite, the blessing. So you are not blessed if the manner of your life, your commitment and your comfort is taking advice from those who are hostile to God. It is not blessed if you're committing to sinful rebellion and being at peace with your arrogance and mocking of God. That's not the blessed life. Now, now, why this description? Well, the psalmist here is showing the manner of life of the one who's not blessed, so then he can he can contrast that with the very beauty and the, benefit of those who are blessed so let me ask you before we move on how's your walk who are you taking advice and direction from who has the greatest influence in your life social media movies tv political leaders unbelieving friends think about this acquaintances who has the greatest influence on your life And where do you stand? Where's your greatest confidence? In your college degree? Your career? Your investments? Is it the latest pronouncements of the scientific community? Is it in that which is overtly sinful? Now the psalmist describes here this this kind of overt evil, but it's not always obvious. And so... If you haven't done these external things, they're still a matter of the heart. I'll remind you what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 7, 22 and 23. He describes those coming to him in the day of judgment, claiming, Lord, Lord, I know you. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. But something's missing. Jesus said he'll tell them at that time, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So it's not always overt. It's a matter of the heart. Maybe nobody else can see it, but God can see it. Well, where are you sitting today? Where do you find refuge and rest? Is that indulging your appetites, your habits, your addictions? things that mock God and his word. Now we're going to get to the consequence of going down that road in a moment, but but we want to get to the path to blessing. And here's the good news. You don't have to remain in an unblessed state. And this psalm calls us to that. This is the beauty of this. So there's a prescription. There's a path to follow. Before before. We're going to talk about the Path of Blessing. So before uh, Garmin and smartphones and built-in car navigation systems, we used maps, paper maps. Now, if you're old enough, if you're old enough, it was an important skill to know how to fold the map back up. Only, I think you got to be over 45 to know that. Then there were road atlases. You didn't have to worry about folding them. Walmart had those. Then you had the AAA trip ticks if you wanted a destination. But but really, At that time, you actually needed to know east from west, north from south, and I think that's lost on a lot of people today, I'm just saying. Now, there are a lot of things that we can know from intuition, but if you've got a particular destination mind in Portland, Maine, and a specific street address, you're going to need some help, right? You can, if you know east, you can go and slightly north and maybe find your way there, but you're going to need some help. The psalmist here in verse 2 is telling us that there is a path, a path, a guide to eternal blessing. That's present blessing, but also eternal blessing. So I don't want to leave out the present. And it says this in verse 2. But, so the, talked about the wicked, where they stand, where they, uh, where they, uh, where they walk, where they stand, where they sit. And now he's talking the alternative, verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So what does the psalmist here mean by law of the Lord, law? Hebrew word is Torah. Now religious Jews still use that word to describe their scriptures, what we call our Old Testament. Now the, the law is, is not just legal directives like the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not commit adultery, you shall love the Lord. It's not those, just that legal stuff but really the law of God encompasses all of the prophetic revelation. The history books, Joshua and Nehemiah, wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Songs. While the psalmist perhaps had the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, in view, really everything written down, having come from the mouth of God, is in view here. And so as we apply this today, the law of God, that's the whole Bible that we have before us. 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books. That is the law of God. So then what is the blessed person's posture? Posture towards God's word. Now, using the previous metaphors, that person walks. That is to say takes direction from the law of God. That person stands, which is to say he's confident in the truth of the word. And he sits, which is to say he dwells. He dwells in comfort and security and joy in God's word. He says that, but in verse 2, he uses different words. Verse 2, he delights in it. He delights in the word of God. He enjoys the word of God. He takes pleasure in the word of God. Now, just that statement right there, to someone who's... Not a believer in Jesus. That sounds weird. But the psalmist here, with his relationship with God, he delights. Uh, David penned this in Psalm 19 regarding God's law, the words of Scripture More to be desired are they than gold. <coughs> now, just that statement there. Really? You can have your Bible or you can have your bank account. Can we say that? That's what the psalmist is saying. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I don't think it's hyperbolic language. That's what the law of God means to him. That's the one who is blessed delights in the law of God. And that delighting leads that blessed person then to meditate on it day and night. Day and night. Now, that's not literal because you've got to sleep, right? But I would say this, that what he means by this is that it's all-encompassing. It's always on his mind. It's always there. It's always accessible. It's always thought about. In life situations, here's this situation. What does God's word say? So the person who is blessed feeds on the word of God, believes the word of God, and ultimately submits to the word of God. Why? Because he knows. He knows that God's word is life to him. And I don't doubt that the psalmist in here in Psalm 1 knew what Deuteronomy 8.3 says. There it says, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's life. Now we take this as a matter of faith. Well, yes, we need, we need the Word of God for life. Because that's what God word, God's Word says that. So we, we take it as a matter of faith, right? But you know, we can also know that it's true, not just because God said it, but because of, because of how it works. And, and let me show you how God's Word is life. And, and I'm sure many of you already know this, but the reminder is helpful. You see, first, when you, when you first believe the Word of God, when you believe the promises of God, it sets you on a path to eternity. That path is joyful fellowship with God in Christ. That's salvation. The Apostle Paul said this to Timothy You have been acquainted with the sacred writings, he's talking about the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, why does it work that way? Why is God's word that way? Well, it, it does that because God's word, the scriptures, the Bible, is unlike any other collection of words. Because when God speaks, He actualizes His will. When God says something, it is done. Read any book. It's passive. It doesn't accomplish anything except to give you some information. And you can decide whether or not you like the story or the thing being written. But God's word is different. Scripture says it's living and active. And because it is living and active, Hebrews 4.12, it accomplishes that which God purposes and it succeeds in the very thing for which he sent it, Isaiah 55.11. That's why God saves through his word. The scriptures contain this, this information, this good news about Jesus Christ. And we're told it is the Power. I mean, it's not just information, but the the good news about Jesus Christ, Romans 1.16, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Think about that. What you read is actually power to save you. What you hear, the good news of Jesus, is not passive information. When the Holy Spirit determines to save you, It is that very word that will transform you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So the purpose of the scriptures is is ultimately, right from Genesis right to Revelation, is ultimately to point us to Christ. Christ, who is the eternal Son of God. Christ, who became a man, was given the name Jesus. He lived sinlessly. He died vicariously, that is to say, in our place, taking upon himself the eternal consequences of our own sin. He rose victoriously, breaking the sin, the the power of sin over us and then ultimately guaranteeing eternal life for all who believe, all who trust Him. That's what the gospel does. It's information with power. Incidentally, as, as we think about this, When we think about witnessing to those who are not believers, you know the most powerful thing that you can say to an unbeliever is not your subjective personal testimony about how your life has changed. And let me be clear what I'm talking about. For example, I became a Christian and I stopped beating my wife and, and, you know, kicking my children around. Well, that's a good thing. But if you're one who never beat his wife and kicked his children around, then, then that transformation doesn't mean anything to that individual. That's a subjective testimony. And that's good. We praise God for that, but there's no power in that. No, there's power in an objective testimony, not what has happened in my life per se, but what Christ has done to make it happen in my life. What Christ has done at the cross. That's where the power is for your witness. Objective witness. Objective testimony. Well, anyway, moving on. When you delight in God's word, when you feed on it, when you enjoy it, when you obey it, it actually gives you power in the present to live the blessed life. That's what the word of God does. I'm pretty sure some of you don't believe me. You might nod in your heads, but the practice of your life, it's not prioritizing, delighting in God's word. I understand that. Sometimes it might not delight you. I often think of uh, Alistair Begg, if some of you have ever listened to him. He says, all of Scripture is inspired, but it's not equally inspiring. right? We get that. I, I try to exercise regularly, so I run. And sometimes it's very enjoyable, but sometimes it hurts. It hurts my knees, it hurts my back get muscle soreness, right? You get that. But it's good, too. I feel more energetic. I recently found that there are scientific studies that show it actually is good for your brain to exercise. It staves off dementia. I'm just about 60, so that might happen, but I don't want it to, so I'll run. I'll do my part. The rest is up, well, it's all up to the Lord, not the rest. But, of course, not to mention heart health that comes with that, and that matters to me now. And because of the overarching benefits of, of running, I, I keep doing it. I've actually come to enjoy it, and I build it into my schedule. That's not a perfect analogy. I get it. But God's word is like that, but infinitely better. When you read your Bible, when you, when you listen to a sermon or a Bible lesson, when you share what you've learned in a group and you ruminate on it together, you should be expecting a benefit. It's the closest thing To hearing the voice of God. Because it is. It is the voice of God. And think about this. If God spoke to you. Out of the clouds and said. Sit down. I want to tell you something. Would you say. "Ah, Maybe later. Or forget about it. The blessed life is one that delights in the word of God. And that's the opposite of wickedness. It's the opposite of sin and scoffing. It's godly character. It's obedience. It's worship. And and if you give yourself to hearing, reading, and obeying God's word, it will do that in you. It's powerful. Now, Listen, I I understand how this works. Our natural, our sinful inclinations, they're always crouching at the door. They're always there in our minds, tempting us, right? Greed, selfishness, lust, pride, all of that. That junk is in us, right? It's got to be pushed out. Why are you going to do that? Well, the way I believe this happens is displacement. We all get what displacement is, right? Right? Whatever's in there gets displaced by something else you put in. Well, that's how the Word of God works. We're vessels. We're, we're containers of, of ideas and desires, and, and in our natural sense, many of them evil. We get this. But if you pour in the, God, the Word of God, if you pour that in, it flushes out the garbage. And if you keep doing that constantly, day and night, it will change you over time. The affections that you had for evil get replaced by affections for that which is pure and holy and righteous. And and it's a battle to the day we die, I acknowledge that. But if you've been in the Word of God for a good season of time, a good chunk of your life, you can see the difference. By the grace of God, He has changed what you like, what you love, what you want he's given you an increased loathing for that which is sinful. Praise God. That's the power of the word. And this is how the Apostle Peter described it in his second letter. I often go to this verse. I, I love it so much. First, uh, 2 Peter 3, uh, sorry, Second Peter 1, 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. The knowledge of Him. That is the gospel message. That is knowing about Christ, right? He's call, he gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness through that knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which the means, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them, listen to this, you know this, you may become partakers of the divine nature, partakers, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That's the natural stuff in us, right? So this very power of God, mediated through the promises of God, this is found in His Word, is everything, hear me, everything you need for a godly life. Everything. So if you're lamenting about the state of your life and your your desires and, and, and the things that you struggle with, Everything you need to overcome that is in the word of God. It will give you victory. And when you delight on God's word and meditate on it constantly, again, you may become partakers of the divine nature. That's just an amazing statement. Think about that. Through this, through the word through the promises you may become partakers of the very nature of God and what does that look like well it's ultimately exhibited in love i touched on this earlier love joy peace patience kindness gentleness goodness faith meekness self-control galatians 5:22 and 23 and paul adds there's no law against that stuff <laughs> Now, is not that, sorry, is that not the pinnacle of blessing here on earth? I think it is. Well, finally, there's the destination. What's the outcome of all of this? Uh, Yogi Berra famously said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. It's absolutely useless but amusing advice, And, and I guess that is the point But as we ponder this psalm, it it seems to me like the psalmist has put us at this place, a fork in the road, and we're being challenged to think about the choice by ultimately considering the destination. Blessed or not blessed, that's the fork in the road. And you can't take both. It's one or the other. Now, from what we know, the choice should seem obvious, right? It should seem absolutely obvious. But to so many, and we know this to be true, to so many, there are millions and millions, billions over the centuries. To them, it has not been obvious. That path that is guided by the wicked, that commitment to sin, the the comfort in scorning God, well, it has an appeal. It does. An example from Proverbs, the sage there writes about the consequences of pursuing adultery. He writes, As ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. He doesn't know. The unblessed life, to to a great sense, is intoxicating. It is deluding. It wraps you up in its lies. He does not know. He's ignorant of the consequences. He appeals to his appetites, and he perishes. A lifetime of self-indulgence in all that is opposed to God leads to destruction. Let's look at it from verse 4. The consequence of wickedness. Verse 4 says, The wicked are not so. They're not blessed. But they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff, you know, that's that outer husk of the the grain that blows away when the grain is beaten. (laughs) It doesn't endure. It's not useful. But that blowing away isn't, isn't just like, oh, it's, it's, it's out of sight. No, it's, it's much more ominous. Verses 5 and 6b, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of righteous. They won't be counted righteous. They won't make it through the judgment. 6b, But the way of the wicked will perish. The one who stands in the way of sinners will not stand in judgment. He will perish. It's an unescapable reality. You you can live your life following your appetites. And it might seem fun and, hey, everybody's doing it. But the mortal existence that we have will come to an end. And everyone will give an account before God. You know this... uh, Past couple of years in the news, it was awash with stories about a well-known, I won't mention his name, well-connected financier. He indulged in all kinds of sexual depravity, all of it immoral, but so much of it even illegal by today's standards. And what he did was he facilitated the same for his uber-wealthy friends so that they could do the same, so that they would indulge in the same depravity that he did. You've seen the story, his suicidal ending in a federal prison. That pales. It pales in comparison to what he will face when he stands before God because he's mocked God. Hebrews 9 says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Here's how it works you're going to die, then you'll be judged. So let me ask you, how will you fare? Will you stand in the judgment? Will you be counted righteous? Well, there's one and only one way to know. The benefit of blessing. So we'll end with good news. (laughs) He is like a tree. This is the blessed one. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. That word planted. Here's the imagery for that. It's that of a gardener deciding to plant a tree where it will be well watered. It would not have been there naturally. So that planting is God's particular saving grace for the blessed. It's his divine rescue that that opened your eyes and your heart by means of his word so that you would repent of your sin and ultimately trust in Christ. And that's the beginning of blessing. And so if you've been truly blessed... God has planted you in a place where he will nourish you. He is tending you like a gardener looks after the tree. And he tends you and he nourishes you by speaking to you, giving you through his law, his word, all that you need to be nourished. And being blessed, you are healthy and can endure. There will be storms, there will be calamities of life, there will be temptations, there will be all kinds of things coming at you but you will endure because of the word of God. You may even die, but you will endure and stand before God in the judgment, knowing that Christ is your righteousness. He does that by speaking to you. And ultimately, that will produce in you fruit. Fruit, which I I take as godly character. That's the blessing, to have the character of God formed in you. It's applied by the Holy Spirit. Again, I'll read it again. I've said this several times. The fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Peter says, if, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you. They prevent you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the result of this, in all, this is the blessed person, in all that he does, he prospers. He prospers. Now, I don't want to get the wrong idea here. What is this prosperity? Well, it's not the promise of of, wealth and temporal success. It's not that. Now, it may be true. It possibly could happen that there would be some personal prosperity because self-control in finance is better than Better in the long term, ultimately, than impulsivity and loading up your credit cards. We get this. Generosity in stewarding God's stuff often means that the Lord entrusts you more, 2 Corinthians 9, for being generous. Godly wisdom in family, community, and work may gain you a good reputation and the trust of others. There's a social prosperity. But, but more than that, I take prosperity means this. It's a life marked by by love. It's a life marked by godly character and sacrifice for others. And that brings this great reward of joy and it brings the absolute certain reward of eternal life uh, in fellowship with God and Christ. Verse six says, for the Lord knows. He knows the way of the righteous. And know this, when God knows something, When God knows something, that's not a passive knowledge. It's not like he finds it out, right? God's knowledge is determinative. It's active. And what God knows for the righteous is eternally good. So brothers and sisters, we wrap this up. If you are eternally blessed, it is because you heard the word of the Lord and you believed that forgiveness is yours in Christ. And as you continue to read, to hear, to believe, to ruminate on and submit to God's word, you will enjoy blessings now and for all eternity. So let me exhort you, if you struggle with this, ask God to give you in an, an unscathed to give you an insatiable appetite for his truth. That's a prayer God loves. So if you struggle with the word of God, ask God to distract you from everything else in your life and keep putting it before you. God wants to feed you. God wants to bless you. So learn, learn to love the Bible. Learn to feed on it like your life depends on it. Because it does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that every spiritual blessing is ours in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its power to move us from the kingdom of darkness and to plant us in the kingdom of your Son. Because you have given us a heart of repentance and trust. We thank you for that. Oh Lord, teach us to love your word more. To feed on it more. And for for those in this room that are struggling to make time for your truth. Struggling to pay attention when the Bible is taught or preached. God, give them, I pray, a heart to ask you to change their longings so that they could enjoy these eternal blessings now. Father, for those that are as yet unbelieving, your gospel is the power, your power, for the salvation of everyone who believes. And I pray that you would turn, as a result of your word this morning, that you would turn unbelief to faith, that you would turn rebellion into repentance and all of these things. We want the Lord Jesus himself to be glorified and we pray it in his name, amen.